1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. My name is Andrew Claudio, aka GMAC, and it's time to preview the Knicks upcoming matchup on Friday night in the nation's capital against the Washington Wizards. The Wizards come in, losers of eight of their last nine, a two and nine record on the season, bottom five in just about everything. And if you're a Knicks fan looking for confidence in this game, last in offensive rebound percentage. So... Take the over on Mitchell Robinson rebounds. At least you now get my pick for betting and sweating ahead of time. Joining me in just a second to talk about this team will be Matt Moderno. He is a podcaster that covers the Wizards on a show called Believe in Wizards, part of the Believe in Podcast Network. He co-hosts that show with former wizard Jihadi White. So he's going to talk to me about what it's like to cover this basketball team where the expectations were what he thought they would be or whether this is actually a disappointing Wizard season and kind of take the temperature of what's going on in D.C. Some Knicks-Wizards connections. The uh, Christophs-Porzingis connection. Both of these teams have former player Kristaps Porzingis, whether it be former Nick who drafted Kristaps Porzingis, or most recently former Wizard Kristaps Porzingis from last season, where he rebuilt his career to an extent as a number one option, and obviously has found the perfect home for him over in Boston. um The Taj Gibson connection just has to be mentioned. Taj Gibson, uh and it's a, I don't know if he's a Nick legend, but he is a Nick. Uh, a disciple of Tibbs, a fan favorite, the OG. I'd love him for him to come back as like a Udonis Haslam assistant coach. Uh, maybe they don't need him and they like the roster spots as is. Uh, but regardless, Taj Gibson spent two years with the Wizards as well. Um, he is not—I don't believe he's with the Wizards anymore. I should have looked that up, but um, correct me, somebody, if he is no longer with the team. I don't—I th- think he's a free agent. So um, shout out to Taj Gibson. I hope you're doing well in whatever franchise you are with or in retirement if you're not with a team at the moment. The other connection I wanted to bring up, and this is a bit of a history lesson because it's not Knicks Wizards and it's only to an extent Knicks Washington. So these two franchises actually have a long playoff history that goes back to the 60s. For those who don't know, that might be on the younger side as a Knicks fan from 69 to 74. From 1969 to 74, these two franchises met in the playoffs every season. Now, granted, league was very small at the time. The first year that they met, there was only 11 teams in the league. But the Baltimore Bullets in 69 got swept by the Knicks in four games. Then in 70, a legendary seven-game first-round series that the Knicks won in seven, obviously en route to an NBA title where they beat the Bucs and then beat the Lakers in the finals. The next year in the Eastern Conference Finals, the Wizards, excuse me, the Bullets, the Baltimore Bullets at the time, finally got past the Knicks Earl, the pro Monroe and Wes Unseld and all these, these uh, bullets, greats, these Baltimore bullets, legends uh, beat the Knicks in the garden, 93, 91 in game seven. To then go on and get swept by Oscar Robertson and a young Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the finals. But they finally got over the hump. And then the following season, the 71-72 season, Earl LePol Monroe demanded a trade from the Bullets. He wanted to get traded to the Lakers um, or he wanted to get traded to his hometown Chicago Bulls. Then he actually wanted to get transferred to the ABA to play for the Pacers. He wanted to move to the Midwest. The Bullets suspended him. And then traded him to the Knicks uh, later, about a month into the season. It was around November. It was a very James Harden-like situation. But it set up the Rolls-Royce backcourt between uh, Walt Clyde Frazier and Earl the Pearl and then Pearl was on the other side of the rivalry in which the Knicks were able to defeat the Bullets in six games in 1972, defeat the Bullets in five games in 1973 and then defeat the Bullets in seven games in 1974 Um, these teams have not met in the playoffs since then, obviously since they've become the Wizards, Uh, but yeah there's like a nice six year history where these two teams played each other every season uh, at the beginning, in the dawn of the NBA, I know the league was about 20 years old but as teams started to show up and the league started to expand a bit uh, in the late 60s early 70s these two teams were very familiar with each other and obviously the Earl of Pearl connection exists uh, I don't have a ton of stats on the Wizards as I mentioned they're, they're bottom 5 in offense they're bottom 5 in defense I think they're bottom 10 in offense their, their lineup data is in, insane the The Jordan Poole Tyus Jones on off you're going to hear it get brought up in a little bit later in the podcast. How much better this team is when their two highest usage players are off the court. And that includes Kyle Kuzma, although they're not as bad with Kyle Kuzma on and those other two guys off. It's like minus two, but we're talking like their most used lineup this year is minus 20 something. So you'll hear the exact stats when they get brought up throughout the pod. Uh, Let's get into it. My conversation with Matt Moderno of the Believe in Wizards podcast to preview this matchup between the New York Knicks and the Washington Wizards. Enjoy joining me now on another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show with New York headed to the nation's capital on Friday to take on the Wizards. It's time to preview this matchup with Matt Moderno of the Believe in Wizards podcast. And we're going to see how much he believes in this basketball (laughs) team in just a second. Matt, welcome to the Knicks Film School podcast.
2: How are you doing? Uh, great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm actually excited about this matchup. I feel like these teams usually play pretty fun games, and that's been a rarity for the Wizards this year, as I'm sure we'll get into. So, uh, take what we can get.
1: Well, let's start there. So, to the uneducated Knicks fan that only sees the standings, only sees eight losses in nine games, and only sees, you know, where the net rating is, where the offensive rating is, I think specifically what the Knicks fan will look to is that the Wizards are last in offensive rebound percentage and the Knicks are like that's how they score their points right. is they're just going to get four and five shots at the rim. Yep. um. But to also the Knicks fan has some PTSD of teams that probably shouldn't create games that have clo- that shouldn't create close games, creating close games. So how have the wizards uh, played is not the word I want to ask. It's more like how have they lost their games this year, but what can a Knicks fan expect going into
2: this matchup? Uh, the way this game will play out and you can, quote me on this one and we can check in after the fact is it'll be relatively close uh for the first half the Knicks will go up about six at halftime and then at some point for the most I'd say the first half of their game so far the Wizards would have given up like a 20 to 5 run early in the third quarter they've actually progressed a little bit now they've been saving that for the fourth quarter (laughs) but at some point uh the Knicks will blow this one wide open the Wizards will take out all of their starters and put in a scrappy bench second unit that the Knicks will feel in no way threatened by and they'll close it to like 10 or 11 and ultimately the Knicks will close it out by like 13 or 14 and it'll look a lot closer on paper than it probably should actually have looked that's been mostly uh, sort of the blueprint for their game so far this season. So
1: what you're telling me is that the Knicks fan should expect not like so, the two games they've played this year that I guess you could call blowouts mm-hmm. were the Hornets and the Spurs. Yeah. And we knew very early on this, these games were over, they were over. Yeah, yeah. So the Wizards will put up a bit more of a fight,
2: is what you project. I think it'll be like one of those probably never in doubt sort of games, but the they'll like make it just uncomfortable enough at the end that like maybe the starters have to come back in just to finish this thing off. That That's mm. kind of been. A typical move, like the Heat had to do that. Um, you've had the the Rock, or sorry, the the Mavericks had to do that a little bit. We're just like, okay, all right, we'll put Luca back in here. He'll put the final nail in the coffin, and then we'll kind of just we'll cruise to victory from there.
1: That might inform our gambling segment, uh, <laughs> right. betting and sweating, because it's yeah. it's terrifying to take any of the Knicks starters when they play one of the one of the lower teams, sure. because we don't know how long these guys are going to be in the game. Even with a Tom Thibodeau yeah. team, the Knicks will be on a back to back because they play Charlotte at six mm-hmm. p.m. less than twenty four hours later the next yeah. day. Tough. So, um, you know, you're curious if the Knicks are able to control this one. Uh, the vibes in Washington, uh, you project them. From the conversation so far, that they're not as dire as two and nine would seem. But you know, I know that you trade Bradley Beal, you trade Porzingis, you 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 invest in the in the Jordan pool of it all, and you know you go into the season with what kind of expectations? Is this how you thought
2: the season would play out to this point? Let me clarify if I've given the wrong impression here. The Wizards are actually somehow worse than their two and nine record. Worse, okay. (laughs) They're they're just good enough at making the scores look better from afar. So if you're scrolling through their results, you're like, okay, they only lost by 13 to this team. Oh, you know, they were close with the Raptors. The Raptors game being the lone exception where they were up big and then didn't score in the final six minutes of the game and ended up losing. Oh, the Nets, they only lost by eight while they were down 25 in that game also. They they just find a way in either the third or now seems like the fourth quarter to totally let this game slip away, get blown mm. out. And then they make it like competitive enough so that on paper you think, well, they're, they're, they're scrappy and they're plucky. When realistically, none of these teams are actually ever like really threatened that, that much about losing the game. It's just enough to like maybe make them sweat. You're there. It's it's tough. Jordan Poole's been really bad. And I think mm. there's some. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. There's maybe some tension uh, coming up because of that. You see some some players kind of eye roll a little bit. There was a clip going around of Poole not paying attention in the huddle the other day and not knowing the play after the fact. So there's just like little stuff like that. You don't want to read too much into a couple of videos here or there, but it seems to reflect what's going on on the court. You've got a starting backcourt of Jordan Poole who guards no one and Tyus Jones who's essentially too little to guard anyone or at least... Uh, isn't putting in the effort to do it they basically soft switch everything so it's a lot of just like okay we'll end up with total mismatches without fighting through it uh they're awful defensively so this should be uh if i were a betting person i would probably take the over uh if if uh, anybody listening to this is wondering how they should kind of play this game out
1: so take the over and take the spread you're thinking
2: Probably a reasonable choice.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well,
2: I, again, the expectations going into this year, did you think it would be this bad? No, I I, I would have taken the over personally. Uh, I, I thought there were enough people. The, the over was 24 and a half, mm-hmm. or the, the number is 24 and a half, uh, most places. And I thought they'd be like a high 20s win team. I, I think they might actually still get to that point. Their young guys have been really. Like those have been the people that have been scrappy and plucky. It's the starters that have been kind of giving up these colossal leads. If you look at net rating for their backcourt, they're abysmal. Probably the worst starting backcourt in the league from that perspective. So I thought they'd be better. I thought we'd get closer to the Jordan Pool we saw two years ago and not the one we saw most of last year. I thought Tyus Jones, you know, the the Grizzlies have been really good whenever John was out and Tyus started. So Together, that that formula just hasn't worked out particularly well. And, and because of it, I think they've been actually worse than, than I would have thought. Denny Avdi has been better. Kuzma has been pretty solid this year. Gavard is, uh, I don't know, he tries real hard. So, uh, yeah, they've just kind of underwhelmed me personally. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, though, if this is one of those teams where they clear out some of the vets that clearly don't want to be there anymore. And in the second half of the year they beat up on people down the stretch and win a couple games, you know, like a seven and two finish to the season or something that nobody expects. And they, they still hit that over number, but this is not going to look like a, a team that's competitive for the play-in at any point this season.
1: So two things. First of all, you mentioned the starting backcourt and a net rating. I mm-hmm. I have cleaned the glass up in front of me and I, I pulled up the lineup data. Yeah. If, people on YouTube might have seen me, give a, a wide-eyed look? <laughs> so I'm like Is that a real number? Um, yeah, it's rough. Yeah. So, uh, correct me if I'm... I want to make sure I'm reading this correctly because there are moments where I wonder if I'm using the site, right? Sure. So, in lineups that feature Tyus Jones and Jordan Poole together, mm-hmm. which is 200... There's 552 possessions that qualify. Yeah. And the Wizards are minus 22.5, the first percentile in the NBA. That's correct. That's correct. It. Yeah. Okay they're giving up a hun- they're scoring 105 points per 100 possessions which would be one of the worst offensive ratings in the NBA and they're giving up 127 127- point six points per punt, which would be the worst in nba history i'm not i'm
2: not trying to pile on i'm no I'm did, for, you're you're I feel bad reading it to me yeah. i feel bad watching it uh but that, uh, yeah if, if <laughs> at any point as a Knicks fan you spend this year going like oh you know maybe i'm falling out of love with brunson a little bit or mm. uh how does he quickly look together and in, in these matchups it's like well it could always be uh worse and and we found the pair apparently that it could not actually be any worse then. So literally it
1: could hard. not be any worse. You mentioned veterans that don't want to be here anymore. Uh, who
2: falls under that category? Yeah, that's sort of the question. And it's hard to tell like exactly who it is, but the vibes seem off with some of the older guys that they, they just, uh, the defensive effort isn't there. Uh, pool might be one of those guys to be honest mm. with you. I, I don't know. It's just, um, the shot selection is weird uh you've got older guys like gallinari and people coming in that they're fine when they play but he's like glacially slow at this point so it's just not it's not nicks danilo gallinari anymore you know where there was like a lot of like fun intriguing stuff he could do he's shooting okay ish uh delon Wright is hurt so we won't even see him he had been fine but i I picture like delon Wright of last year where he was this like really good off-ball free safety type you didn't want to throw you know anywhere near him in the passing lanes. And he moved the ball around and was a good like table setter for people. This year he was like calling his own number a lot. That was kind of weird. I don't know if he was auditioning for a trade from some other team. I liked the couple minutes early on that they had, you know, first couple minutes they'd given to Landry Shamit. he can't seem to hit anything now anymore. He's saying the right things. But if I'm a guy like that, like why do I want to be like the eighth or ninth man in Washington when I could go be the eighth or ninth man on literally any other team in the league? So it it just it's hard to pinpoint exactly who the problematic guys are, but there's clearly something here where this group is not gelling. Like I mentioned, the younger guys, when they come in, it's the, uh, Eugene Amaruiz, it's the Ryan Rollins, it's our rookie. Bilal Kulavali has been really good. He's shooting the ball. Well, he's a nightmare for people defensively. Like that's when we team like seem to go on our run is we were calling it like the throw in the flag or, you know, throw in the towel lineup for a while, but, but then they would go on like a 15 to two run and you're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> like maybe we got something here, uh, and then we take them back out, put our starters in, and with the game.
1: So, again, to your point, the lineups when you sort on cleaning the glass to mm-hmm. um, take Jordan Poole and Tyus Jones off. Yeah. I mean, three hundred seven possessions is a sample size, sure. and it's a plus nineteen. So yeah. that speaks to what you're talking about. In and, and it's Landry Shaman, it's Kula it's Corey Kispert, it's Danny Avia. Um, and it's obviously Gallo uh, as part of the the, the, the successful lineups. Mm-hmm. Kuzma seems to fall in the middle here. and I guess that but the question I have towards Kuzma is, do you foresee him being part of the solution here in Washington or in this specific season? is it more, and again, small sample size um, is is it early on early return showing that he's more one of the vets that may have to get moved in the future.
2: I would say of their eleven games, there were seven of them where at least for the first half of these games, he was like almost exclusively their offense. It, like mm. he, it's like a thirty five percent usage usage rate for him for for oh, a lot wow. of these games. But also, they needed it. Like he was the guy getting downhill, driving, a kick to people, like drawing the defense in, being unselfish trying to get to the rim. They've been really good scoring around the basket for the most part. Uh, the shooting is like kind of fine. You know, like he's like 35% from three so far. It's not probably as good as you would want it to be, but he does end up with a couple grenades here and there that maybe throw the percentage off. But the defense has been considerably worse this year. I actually felt like he was an extremely underrated defender last year. It's, it's just not a thing he gets a lot of credit for, but he was the guy taking a lot of those tougher matchups. I think Denny Abdi has been really good defensively the last couple of years. He's much better offensively this year. But when they played certain teams, when they played uh, Philly last year, Kuzma was the guy draw, like, drawing the Harden matchup most of the time. He guarded Dame Lillard a lot of the time when they played uh, Portland last season. So like he took tough matchups this year. I don't know if it's the offensive workload is so high uh, that the defense is sort of like falling by the wayside because of it. But he looks worse defensively. They need the defensive rebounding he provides. I think that's one area where he's definitely helped out. So <laughs> long-winded way of saying like, I, I think he's been more good than bad, but he's not probably been as good as you would need like a number one option on a team to be to be competitive a lot of the time. But if I'm a playoff team like I don't know Milwaukee or somebody like that, and I need a little extra punch. This is a guy i'm strongly considering trading for because i think in that context he's he's going to be so much better because he's one he's super versatile i think you could fit him in with any lineup realistically in the league like he, he makes sense for for a lot of different groups uh so it's nice that he kind of is like a good off-court mentor for some of these young guys you don't have to rush to trade him but i would imagine he's probably not here super long term the contract is like incredibly friendly and actually mm-hmm. decreases over time so maybe you wait a year or two and you shop them at peak value or i don't know if you get like a godfather offer right now you just pull the cord and and get it done so you can kind of go either way realistically
1: it looks like the the there's a bit of a clean slate in washington i don't know if i'm reading that correctly but after the bradley Beal trade that well really the poor and bradley Mm Beal trade have to be Counted together. And sure. while you probably I mean, let me just ask you, when Bradley Beale got traded, what were your thoughts? Did was it like a, a, an unfortunate uh, a departure of one of the franchise's favorites? Or was it like a band aid finally getting ripped off? Uh euphoria, I think. It euphoria. Was like, oh, yeah. so it was
2: even more so. Okay. And not even a disrespect to Beal thing. Uh, he's obviously a really good player. It was just Going down a road where you would run a max out best case scenario, you win thirty five games is just not something I think most fans here wanted to do anymore. And that was kind of what they'd committed themselves to with a lot of money to guys that weren't really like needle movers and in, in terms of big time success. Like Brad is great, he's not going to single handedly make a team a playoff team. And Porzingis was great, but he's not going to do the same thing either. To so of them together couldn't even do that. And you know, people will say, well, like, they only played sixty games or whatever, like they shut them both down with like 10 or 12 games left in the year for the most part. So they were actually pretty healthy for a lot of the season and still didn't get very far. So I think everybody here was just kind of ready for a rebuild that was probably two or three years overdue. And to your point, like they're trying to clean the books as much as they can. The pool contract is probably would be tough to trade right now. At this point. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So, but still you've got to reach the salary floor somehow and it's not an insane contract. So maybe in two more years uh, if he looks a little better and the salary is a little more palatable for somebody with two years left on it. And then, then maybe you can move him at that point. So I think that's going to be what they're going to look to do.
1: Well, it's funny. I, I forget who brought up this example, but like as a Knicks fan in 2018, 19, you know, Porzingis had Torres ACL the year before. Sure. So they went into that year with Tim Hardaway Jr. Getting a ton mm-hmm. of usage and, like Emmanuel Moutier getting a ton of usage and that whole season was like we knew from very early on, this team is destined for less than 20 wins and it took all the weight off of expectations. Mm -hmm. And you know, you you had some tanking weapons on on the court for a lot of the year. And I wonder if that's the role, which probably comes off as disrespectful to Jordan Poole, but I mean, the Warriors used him as a sixth man, not a high
2: usage number guy, one. Like, score, yeah.
1: Exactly. Not the primary option uh, on this team. Is that how you it, <laughs> disappointments a weird word to use? What does a disappointing wizard season look like? Like, do you measure it in where they fall in the draft lottery? Do you measure it in progress of any guys on the team? Do
2: wins come into the equation at all? I think before the season, I would have said a disappointing season is like 30, somewhere between 28 and 32 wins because you make yourself too good just to be out of those bottom couple spots. I don't think there's probably realistically any chance of them pulling that off at this point. So to me, a disappointing season is not getting like Koulibaly and guys like that enough uh, reps to really grow and develop their game, not seeing what Johnny Davis can do. It's an embarrassing you know, move from a from a coaching staffer for an office to have a guy who had an abysmal rookie year that's looked a little better when he's actually played so far this year. The shot looks atrocious, but it's gone in a decent amount. He's been very good defensively. And you're getting blown out and nobody's putting up any defensive resistance, but you still won't play a guy in the second year of his deal. Like things like that make no sense to me. I think they make no sense to a lot of people. Like Gulbali having a 7% usage on a team that's not winning anything is nuts give him 15 20 see where we're at give uh Ryan rollins 10 15 minutes every game guaranteed like i don't need to see landry Shammond play anymore i know what landry Shammond is everyone in the league knows what he is you're not increasing his trade value you're not winning with those guys i'm not putting it all on landry shaman that's just one example but like you shouldn't be playing your you know these vets at the expense of your young guys at this point now if you do it for the first couple of weeks of the season no big deal if we have a follow on conversation sometime in February and they're still doing it, that would be a pretty disastrous, um, way for the season to play on, in my opinion. So,
1: two years ago, when the Knicks, I mean, a Tom Thibodeau team, a Tom Thibodeau team sure. is never gonna, yeah, n- defeat, like, right? Just, and don't throw on the towel there, yeah. like, you can't. It, it, uh, so, little backstory there's they had Alec Burks on the team mm-hmm. at the time, and they also had Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker was their, their, there's sneaky offseason signing they right. the Thunder thunder bottom out nicks get kemba and 20 games in it's like oh he's washed and
2: yeah, this is not going to work anymore this yeah. is
1: not like a thing and so tibbs makes a switch and puts kemba like out of the rotation completely and puts right. alec burks in the starting five mm-hmm. suddenly offensive rating is tra- going up defensive they're winning games defensive rating is going up yeah. Omicron happens and they're down to like four guys and he's like, all right, I'll go back to Kemba. Kemba has his three best games of the season. He scores mm-hmm. like 30 against the Celtics, 40 against, against. I remember it was the Wizards yeah, at the Garden yeah. and then the next day was Christmas. And he had a triple-double and then he went Nothing back again. into yeah. the, the crapper for the next couple, like six weeks mm-hmm. and it was like of no fault of his own. Father Time mm-hmm. is undefeated, yeah. but like Tibbs never went back to what Mm -hmm. was actually working. And as the season progressed, it was like, okay, then he, then he eventually, after the all-star break, went back to the Alec Burke starting five. But by then we were like, Hey, give quickly the keys for two months. Let's see what happens. Let's see what Obi Toppin Mm -hmm. looks like for two months. And it became this very venomous reaction. Every time you watch Nick game that I'm only, I only care Right. when obi's in the game when yeah. quickly to the game with rj barrett and Mitchell robinson if you're over the age of 25 get out of here forever yeah. this leads to a question about how the fans are reacting and who they're mm-hmm. blaming for their frustrations of not seeing the young guys is it at the head coach is it yeah, at the front 100%. office so it's uh, a head they are man. they're out for blood for the head coach
2: yeah i mean there, there's been some very uh even for like NBA Twitter standards, pretty negative commentary about Wes Sunsell Jr. so far, and and uh, where people would like to see him go uh, beyond mm. this this year. So it's okay. uh, it's just not a good look. Like he's it's one thing if you're like, hey, I'm a coach. I'm an old school guy. You know, I've been around the league a long time, and I'm I'm never gonna like openly tank. I can't put the young guys in there because my vets are playing hard and playing well. But when your young guys are actually the ones that the eye test and and all metrics say are your more productive players and you're still not playing them. That's what people can kind of accept. Like I said early after the first couple of games, like people were like, I don't understand why Koulibaly's not starting and playing like, you know, T Mac level usage. Like <laughs> it, okay. Well, maybe he has to do something that he's not doing to earn those minutes. You don't want to gift a young player there that needs to be accountability, but If a young guy comes in and defends really well, and then you've got your whole starting backcourt getting torched, and the team makes a run with you, the young guy in the game, but then you don't play, like it's just really hard to rationalize what he's actually seeing that's leading them away from these things. And again, maybe it changes at the trade deadline or something like that. Kudos to Knicks fans for waiting that long into the season to get that point. Wizards fans are literally all over. I do not care if Koulibaly's not in the game right now. Basically, <laughs> I think they they hovered around
1: five hundred enough for yeah. that season. That sure. there's this three. It was literally a three and seventeen stretch uh-huh. in in February into March. That I, I, the the fire tips uh, sure. posters were out and um yeah that was that was a dark time in Man, in in Knicks history. Then then Jalen Brunson showed up. But there you go. I'm fascinated by the the temperature of the Wizards fan base because mm-hmm. on one hand, we just did a, a depressed fan base rankings on on our Patreon, sure, and like the Wizards end up on there just from our our outside looking in perspective, yeah, but right. I put them like toward the the ten of the top ten, like closer to the bottom, because of the clean slate that I right. at least judge it by, and it sounds like. The while there is frustration about the kids that aren't playing, mm-hmm. there's not as much of a commitment long term to the vets that are are quote unquote vets the Jordan pools yeah. the the Kuzma's the Tyus Joneses that you know you're you're headed for the lottery and this is a season that it's more of a vegetables season right. um, and it doesn't sound like it doesn't sound defeated is that a fair fair characterization that doesn't sound like this is this is going to be a time. This is gonna be a season that, like, you look back and it's like, oh, that was a wasted season.
2: It's getting dark pretty quick here. Like, we're gonna organically lose enough games that at the end, I think everybody will convince themselves it was fine because we got a top three pick and Cole right. Molly played enough that it that it mattered. If you trade any of these bets and get anything for them, if Tyus Jones turns into a top twenty protected first round pick, if you get two firsts for Kuzma, if I don't know, you could trade Gallo for a top fifty eight protected second round pick you know like i i don't know if you get anything for some of these guys and and you can build a couple assets i think that's one of the troubling things is a lot of times when teams tear it down they trade off their better players and they get something for them you essentially um traded porzingis away and and realistically all you were doing was enabling him to sign where he wanted to sign and you get tyus jones back for doing that you don't really get much back for bradley beal so it's not like you you've stocked your war chest, you know, with, with all these moves, you're kind of like a cupboard is kind of bear situation here. So I think that hurts a little bit. So if they can lose enough games to get a good pick, these vets play well enough to turn them into something. And the young guy show something. I think most wizards fans would leave this year being like, all right, cool. Like lock and load next year. And like, we'll see where we're at. But uh, I don't know if, if you win enough games that you end up with a sixth pick or something, and you've played the vets, and the young guys don't get any better, and you go into next year and you still don't really have with one of these young guys, and you've kept all the older guys, I think that would be kind of a tougher pill to swallow for most of us.
1: Well, I'll say this. um, On behalf of Knicks fans going into this game, the last preseason game that the Knicks played was against the Wizards, and Jordan Poole went off. I think think he had 40 points in three quarters.
2: The last time he played well, so...
1: Well, unfortunately for us, it's our last impression of the Wizards, yeah, sure. and there was a lot of Nick fans on our post game that night that were sounding the alarms. Oh my goodness, this team looks so bad going into the season. Bottom sure. ten, bottom five defense. Here we come, mm-hmm. and they're they're sixth in defense so far. And like you said, Jordan Poole, has not. That might be his best game of the season, but going into this matchup. That's our our last impression of the he Wizards. He can do so. it.
2: He can go nuclear on anybody. It looked a little bit a couple of games ago like he was trending back up, and they're all starting to blur together like which ones were which. But I want to say maybe like the Brooklyn game is like, oh, okay, kind of 23-ish points on efficient shooting. Like, cool. All right. Like, maybe, maybe we got like the Jordan pool we expected. He just needed to settle in. And then like last night, it was absolutely atrocious again. So it's like, all right, we we were just trying to like talk ourselves into anything at this point. But but you're right. Like he could drop a 40 point game kind of out of nowhere. And, uh, and you guys are a snake bit in a franchise for the last 20 years as we are. So if it was going to happen to anybody, it would be you all. So uh, I hope for your sake, it's not the case.
1: It's why we're not. Well, OK maybe half the fan base is going in with not as much confidence as a team like where the Knicks are should be going into this matchup. Um, I want to go evergreen for, for the next question. I have two more before we get out of here. I've been doing this thing with my guests where, I asked them about their perspective on rivals mm-hmm. and I've, it's called the Mount Rushmore of rivals. And, yep. you know, for the Knicks fans, we have these dates we circle on the schedule sure. and, you know, the moment it gets released, it's like, ah, I can't wait till we play X and the wizards mm-hmm. do not show up on the Knicks Mount Rushmore. Not and sure I don't they. think the Knicks show up on the wizards yeah. Mount Rushmore. Yeah. So tell me who are the four teams that you, I guess, and wizards fans, Uh, look forward to playing uh, throughout the season? Who are the rivals that you point to?
2: I realize that anyone listening to this who isn't familiar with our podcast or anything is like, God, this guy is the biggest Debbie Downer of all time. But like, we've been so irrelevant for like the last 20 years. There's not like a ton in the way of rivalries. There was three straight years where uh, the Cavaliers knocked us out of the playoffs during the Gilbert Arenas years. That Mm -hmm. was kind of a like a circle, the calendar kind of date for a while. There's been some back and forth with the Raptors. I think that's probably one where like, you know, there's been a little bit of like animosity back and forth. And uh, the Celtics is probably one I would put on there. We had the whole 2017 playoffs and Mm -hmm. we showed up wearing all black and then got our asses kicked and stuff like that. So uh, that's probably a good one. I feel like every fan base should hate Heat fans and you know, I'm sure that's probably on your next list, I would think that's it's probably, on the
1: list. Yeah. And Matt, not only is it on the list, it's come up on every single yeah. pregame Eastern yeah. Conference pod. It says a I lot about so you if you're <laughs> listening to this heat fans.
2: Like chill out, especially online.
1: My goodness. Yes. <laughs> like the Hawks <laughs> hate them. The wizards the obviously the Wizards hate them. The Hornets hate them. The Celtics hate them. And it's not even the, the team, by the
2: way. Them. It's well, I mean it's a little bit the it team. It might be like, the team, but the fan bases are even worse, yes. When when you lose a game like because Corzynus can't post up like Drew Smith or somebody or Jamal Kane or like it's just so infuriating. And mm-hmm. then to listen to like literally every single uh trade that's been suggested the last five years is which good players on the Wizards can we send to the Miami Heat? Like I just mm-hmm. can't personally deal with that shit anymore. So uh they're my least favorite personally.
1: Do you get a lot of that with the Knicks too? They I, I know the, not as much, have, to be honest. The Knicks you. have been in the market for a star since Leon Rose showed up. Yeah. I know there was because Bradley Beal and RJ Barrett mm-hmm. have the same agent. Yeah. There was that connection,
2: me. But I've I haven't heard many. No, like, we never really heard that. Could I, I be trade like, partners, you know. Honestly, I, at least I know a decent amount of Knicks fans personally, so it's like I feel bad because you guys have also been like mostly a beat up franchise. So it's like mm-hmm. there's not much animosity there. It's like I hope. You know, both of our franchises can like not suck moving forward, uh, and you guys are doing much better at that than we are the last couple of years here. So, yeah, uh, you know, this, it's hard to hard to hate on, I guess. But we've gotten to the
1: not suck portion of yeah. the. Can take the next jump? That's the now we're I think we're at the point of good. Now I don't know if it's a, a trade or just an internal growth in uh, some guys getting better. Which this season seems to be off to that kind of start. Uh, that's how you get to elite, and then you know contender is a different category. Can I category you a question that about like, that real quick? That's actually the last question I have, Is okay. I hand okay. it over to the yeah. guest to see if you have any questions about the Knicks. Can
2: RJ Barrett shoot now? Is that a real thing to be oh by my gosh. this? Like-
1: Matt, so here's the deal. There's two different camps. Okay. There's a lot of, and I think I followed... Real, quite literally in the middle of these two camps. Okay. There's a camp that wanted to launch RJ into the sun, trade yeah. him for any available, like Paul George, Zach Levine, yeah. um, Donovan Mitchell, uh, OG Ananobi, Like He's never going to be efficient. Not This is not a thing. The 40% shooting when open gyms, when there was nobody in the arenas right. during the, the COVID year, is yeah. never coming back. Last year, it wasn't just an offensive regression; it was a defensive regression. Mm-hmm. And then the playoffs happened, and he had his best eight game stretch of his career in the playoffs. Right. And then FIBA, whatever you want to count that as, mm-hmm. and it was like it was enough to be like, all right, let's just see what this happens. Year five, yeah. let's see what. And he showed up, and he's like yeah, looks really good. He's like Donovan Mitchell, like from three. Yeah. He shoot fifty percent from three so far. It's pretty handy, so. Man. I don't think he's going to do that all season, but the progress he's shown in process has mm-hmm. been enough that I think even the staunchest RJ doubter has been is like, okay, I'm going to put trade machine away for a while. I want to see what obviously oh, so optimistic
2: like. at the very least.
1: Yeah, it's like okay, yeah. let me just see what this becomes. Sure. The other camp is the pro RJ crowd. That's like this was always going to happen. We I told knew you. it. Yeah. You're stupid, and yeah. you don't get to and enjoy- come to our party. I fall in the middle where. I got to the point where I was wondering if the efficiency was ever going to show yep. up. And the process was just so bad for a while. He did live yeah. at the rim, which was great, but he didn't finish at the rim. Oh, and I thought you would need to, like this season, you would need to have some type of respectable jump shot mm-hmm. for you to be a wing in this league. Yeah, And the the jump shot is respectable at this mm-hmm. point. So I'm I'm to the point where I was, I was never venomous of like launch him into the sun. Sure. I was never in his corner of like, Hey, you he he's actually not that bad. So the, the, the start he's off to is very, very encouraging. And we're just enjoying it as best as we can from our own
2: perspective as an on islands. Yeah. I, I've been wondering about that from afar. Cause I think I had been on the, like, if he doesn't shoot, what is he camp? Like that's sort of the Denny Avdia experience with wizards fans mm. too. like, you're either very pro or very against. I, I I apparently am a hater to his fan group, but I, I like to think I'm in the middle. Very good defensive player. Can do a lot offensively, but if he can't shoot, he can't unlock enough of those things to be consistently productive. This year, he's shooting a lot better and magically, you know, unlocks a lot more of those things. So it goes a long way.
1: Yeah, the there is a, a hint of... Like, RJ did come into this league at 19. And I think even... <laughs> Even the most critical of him recognized like the circumstances, like his first year, the Knicks that was the year they that Porzingis got traded during the season. They were supposed to get Durant, Kyrie, and Zion, and they get RJ, and then like every power forward that was available. (laughs) Taj Gibson, Bobby Portis, uh Julius Randle, obviously, Marcus Morris, and RJ just had the worst spacing possible for a yeah, guy a that needs to live at the rim right. um year two they actually they just simplified his game and then they gave him these pistol sets that got him going downhill mm, he yeah, still had some issues yeah. well he still had some issues finishing at the rim but right. he became this three point a corner three-point shooter mm. that was elite like yeah. it just lives off like his three-point volume lived off that year three julius had his issues. And so they gave RJ a 30 usage for half the season. Mm-hmm. And I, I think That's they were tough. trying to get his trade value up because they're sure. going to go try and get Donovan Mitchell. Right. Um, And then the Donovan Mitchell summer happens. RJ gets extended instead of traded and then has his worst, car- worst season as a pro mm. that year. Um, And this year it's the first time he's coming into a season with some continuity. Sure. And I think it's, it's done him wonders. I think it's done everybody wonders. Yeah. This team just, like all the only change that was made to the rotation is uh, Obi Toppin for Dante Di Vincenzo. and early returns are Top, okay. they, mm-hmm. like, they have that the, their bench unit with RJ has a plus seven in in its
2: possessions this year. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think there's something to be said for that. I'm a firm believer in like, hey, just give these guys enough time to work it out and kind of clean up the pieces around them to make them all successful. And it seems like they've done a pretty good job of that so far.
1: You know, to that point, we can wrap up here. What's been cool to see is. It's like also giving them a chance to try new things, like, yeah. like even Tibbs, like the dinosaur. Like, there's so much more ball movement now, and he knows all of these players so well that he sure. knows, like, okay, I need to, uh, I can experiment with this, this, this thing. I know, like, I, the Grimes is really good from this corner three, so I'm mm-hmm. gonna call place to make sure this three gets to th- this. This this uh, specific shot gets taken. I'm gonna experiment with these guys together because I know that these like like putting uh, Emmanuel quickly and Jalen Brunson together. I know that they can play against he- play mm-hmm. with each other because I've seen it for so long. Um, yeah, it's 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 led to this familiarity with how all of these guys play. That now you're seeing them get they're they're so far past the get used to each other or learn about sure. each other phase, and they're you know, just that we've been doing this forever. Let's try yeah. something new just to see if it works. So I yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I'm, I'm a- intrigued by this matchup and how the Knicks play. And and if the wizards look like they have the last nine games, then hopefully it's stress-free. If it's the last preseason game repeat, then this should be a good matchup. Um, Regardless, Thank you, Matt, for coming on today's yeah, pod and helping me preview. Uh, before you
2: get out of here, please tell all the fine folks at home where they can find you. Uh, if you're ever interested in Wizards coverage, it's the Believe in Wizards podcast, B-L-E-A-V, on the Believe Podcast Network. It's myself and former Wizard Jihadi White. Uh, once a week, sometimes twice a week, depending on schedules and things like, uh, things like that. So he tries to provide a player perspective on what we're seeing on the court. Why? How? So I think that's got some relevancy for fans of any team. And then uh, you can find us at believe in wizards on Twitter and Instagram and all that kind of good stuff too.
1: Last question. What's that like doing a, a show with a, a former
2: wizard that, that, that gives that kind of perspective. I did it with uh former wizard and former Nick Larry Hughes before that. Um,
1: hey, Larry Hughes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: Short lived former Nick, but uh, both great guys been a nice experience to do with them. Jihadi is like absolutely the nicest man possible. So it's really cool to do that with him and, I think we see the game a little bit differently sometimes, so it, it, that leads to some good combos about, hey, why is what I'm seeing as a fan different than what you would see as somebody who lived it? And uh, it's been it's been cool just to kind of learn from him. So just lucky. one
1: more follow up on that: is sure. yeah. is he able to? Again, this is admittedly from someone who hasn't listened to enough of the show to know the rhythm of it, but sure. is he able to see the modern game for how it plays, or is he? more coming from his perspective of how it's changed
2: since how he since it was when he played it's a little bit of both right like i think he gets where it's going he's an aau coach now in the brad beal elite program and his kids are um Hmm. you know one of them was on the under 17 team usa like they're good players so i think he gets it but it's also you know he's an old school back to the basket center kind of physical so I, i think he misses that style play and honestly I miss that style play. I would think a lot of older, you know, older school Knicks fans miss being able to beat up on people in the trenches. So uh, there's some of that for sure. But I think he gets, you know, you've got to play a modern style of basketball. So it's, it's kind of a nice blend.
1: As much as I miss that style, um, I have Julius Randle and a coach that loves rim protection on my team. So yeah, I get it. whatever yeah, version of that it converts to today. It's kind of sure. still on, still on my team. Uh, the Believe in Wizards podcast, wherever podcasts are available, check it out when you when you can. Knicks fans, we like to give the KFS bump when when guests come here. Matt, thank you for joining me today.
2: Yeah, this was great. Um, We'd love to have you on and maybe we can do something uh, home and home next time uh, two teams play. I appreciate having me and uh, good luck to you guys. Selfishly, I hope you win this game too. So it'd be great. Uh, so it's
1: funny. I've been saying at the end of these things, good luck in every game, except this one. And I think it actually works yeah, out that luck we're both rooting for the same team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Matt. I appreciate Anytime. it. Once again, a big thank you to Matt for coming on today's pod and helping me preview this matchup against the Washington wizards. Uh, this I think falls under the category of don't screw around. Like, go take care of business. Win these next two. Get John a, a win in predictions this week. Uh, the. Hornets, who they play on Saturday, are also coming on a back to back. They play at home. I forget against, oh, they play the Bucks. That's right. They play a good team on Friday night. And then another good team comes into Charlotte on Saturday, less than 24 hours later. So take care of business in the nation's capital. The Wizards' two wins this year are against Memphis, who is not going to, has not won a ton this year. They've won two themselves and the Hornets who have won three themselves. So the Knicks, if they play to their standard, should be able to win this game or as Matt said, it'll keep it close for a while and then a nice little run in the third or fourth quarter will be able to create some separation that we're not sweating this game out in the fourth quarter. Uh, If you're not aware of the news. Quentin Grimes is questionable on Friday night with a wrist injury. He obviously left the Atlanta game late with an injury. Um, and we'll see if he plays. I'm assuming that would mean uh, Emmanuel quickly starts on Friday. I could also be wrong. And maybe Tibbs just really wants Josh Hart to start. He may start anyway because RJ Barrett is still questionable for Friday night's game with uh, with migraine issues. So we'll see what happens. John will be on the post game. We'll be on the watch along. As far as I'm concerned, that'll do it for me. If you dig the show, head over to iTunes, drop a five-star rating and review. I'll be back Saturday morning with the pregame pod. And since you just heard a preview of the Hornets last weekend, I don't want to talk about them anymore. So I went and found a national guy that I, I love to talk to. Dan Favallo is going to join me for a a look at the league uh, on on Saturday morning, and we're going to talk about some some other Knicks stories. Get his perspective. Dan is is, and for my money, one of the best at talking about the league at large. He covers the league. Intensely and, and and intently too, like both words apply. He does it um, from a very in-depth place, and he also like intends to cover every team. Like you think reaching out to everybody for these pregame pods is one thing. I'm mostly asking questions. Dan tries to be as much of an expert on every team as he possibly can over on his podcast, Harvard Knox. So that'll be coming your way Saturday morning. Until then, thank you for listening. Enjoy the game tonight. Let's go Knicks, and I'll speak with you soon. Peace.